0: Well, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, or you're watching online, grab your Bible, get ready. We need to hear from the Word of God today. You don't need to hear from me. You don't need to hear from another man, another woman. You need to hear from Jesus. And that's why we look week after week after week, and hopefully you're looking day after day after day to His Word. Believers, Christian people ought to read the Word of God every single day. There shouldn't be a day that goes by that you and I do not set our eyes on the scriptures. And as the Lord would lead you, do you good to every day, set your eyes on something Jesus said. Look for what Jesus said, because he told us the one who comes to him and hears his words and then puts it into practice. He's the man who digs deep. Come on, somebody say dig deep. Dig deep. What are you doing? You are building your house on a sure foundation on the rock. So that's why we go to the word and we have been in a series together for the last nine weeks. I think it is 10 now. I think I'm right about that. But we have been looking in the book of Matthew chapter 12. And man, your Bible should probably just fall open to Matthew 12, 25 by now. But let me remind you what Jesus said in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 12. He said he knew their thoughts And said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And we are talking about a house undivided. That's what I believe we're building here. We're not just building a building. We're not just building an institution. We're building a house. And I am very interested in this house standing. And if this is your place that God's assigned you to be, and I'm talking to those of you watching online this morning as well, if this is your place, then you and I both ought to be very, very interested in what it's going to take to make sure this place stands and stands undivided. And Jesus helped us identify it here. He said where there's division. If a kingdom's divided against itself, it's not going to stand. If a city or a house is divided against itself, it will not stand. And we've identified the tactic of the enemy, whether you're talking about in the highest places of government or in the house next door or in your house, Satan tries to come in with the same stuff. He comes in first with the effort to deceive because if he can get us in this house deceived, he can get us in this house divided. And if he can get us divided, then he can destroy this house. But the good news in all of it is if we won't be divided, we won't be deceived and we will not be destroyed. And it gets stronger in my heart, guys, week after week. And I hope you're not getting tired of it. I hope you're not getting worn out by it. I hope the opposite's happening. I hope you're seeing week after week after week in the study of this, how significant this is. What Jesus is doing for us is saving our families. Amen. It's saving our homes. Yes. And for many of us, he's saving them before the, the attack ever comes. Thank you, Lord. And I thank God for what he's talking to us about in these things, about being a house undivided. And we've talked about a lot over the last couple of months. We've talked about the things that divide a house, things like strife, things like offense. We went back and looked at what Abram said to Lot when his when their herdsmen were fighting, he, he went to him and said, please let there be no strife between us. That's a spiritual person. That's a grown-up. That's the way a spiritually mature person talks. Let there be no strife between us. Why would he say that? Or why would any of us say that? Because we know how deadly strife can be. We know how destructive a force strife really is and how destructive division can be. So we talked about a number of these different things that divide us, be it strife or offense, these things that try to creep in and get between us, and we saw how deadly it can be when it tries to come between us and what is that flow of life to us. Jesus said the word got sown on a bunch of different kinds of ground, but it only produced once. One out of four times. And one of the big reasons the word didn't work on the other ground, one reason he identified was because it had shallow earth. In other words, it it got planted and it sprouted up, but it didn't take root. And when persecution and tribulation came because of the word, he said immediately they were offended or they were offended for the word's sake. In other words, what happened was Satan came and in an effort to steal the word, he tried to get you disconnected from the word that was serving to bring you life. And if he can disconnect you from that word, he can cut off all the life flowing out of that word and into you that's designed to produce fruit. You remember Sarah talked to us about dealing with that root of bitterness. And that's the thing about something that takes root is it's only a matter of time before it starts showing fruit. You think you might have it buried up and you think you might have it hidden, but even though you may not be able to see the root, we can see the fruit (laughs) and bitterness doesn't stay hidden long. Uh Bitterness shows up on the face. Bitterness comes out in the harshness of the words. And this is one of the big things that serves to divide people in the same house. We got to deal with it. Pull that stuff up by the roots. You remember the example she gave you that day was the four of us, she and I and Justice and Jesse, out in the yard working on the flower beds. This was one of the things my parents had me do all the time. And it was one of the things I particularly hated. I did not like yard work. I did not like mowing. I did not like weed eating. I did not like pulling weeds. But every Saturday, especially through the summer, my dad would come in, wake me up, time to mow the yard. And I would get out there and I'd, it seems like I would try to find every excuse in the world to not have to do that. But I remember mom trying to teach me how to pull weeds. And I said the same thing to our kids a few weeks ago, teaching them, you got to get it up by the root. Anybody's parents ever tell them that? you got to get the root. If you just pull what's, what's on top off, it won't be long. It'll come sprouting up again. you got to get it by the root. And that's the same thing when it comes to some of these things. Bitterness, man, you got to pull that stuff up by the root. If you just try to deal with what's on the surface, it won't be long and it's sprouting up again. It's sprouting up again. But thank God he's given us his word and his spirit. And the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost so that we can get this stuff by the root and get it out. And Jesus said, whatever was not planted by my heavenly father will be plucked up and thrown out. How many, you know, it wasn't the heavenly father that planted a root of bitterness in you. No, but you do know that he, as the husbandman knows how to grab that stuff by the root and get it out. A couple of weeks ago, we got over into not just what divides a house, but then what is it that keeps a house together? You remember some of the things we've talked about over the last several weeks? A a house undivided is a house that has sweet, who remembers, fellowship. If we want the house to be undivided, then the people in the house have to possess a sweet fellowship with each other. It's not enough just to not fight. I mean, you want to (laughs) be walking in love. You want that to be taking root and bearing fruit in your life and in the house. We want sweet fellowship. And remember, fellowship is what we share, yeah. what we share with each other. We share experience. We share feelings. We share thoughts. We share, we, we share these things. Uh, we share in our words with each other. This is fellowship yeah. coming around what we have in common. And for this house that we're in this morning to be undivided, we have to share in a common purpose. And the purpose and assignment on this place, you've heard us say it over and over, that we're a local church with a global call. And this place serves as a platform from which we reach the nations. We preach Jesus from this place. And we share in this assignment. That's not just me, it's not just her, it's you, it's us, it's every one of you watching online who call Legacy Church Home. This is what we share. We share a vision. We are not divided. There is no division. There's not more than one vision here. We share one vision. And that is to uh, teach people how to live by faith in the day of grace. Teach them how to experience a whole life prosperity. That's prospering spirit, soul, and body. We share in the common vision of raising our families in the household of faith. We share this. That's our fellowship with each other. And as long as we will stay centered around that and what we share, this house will be undivided. Last week, we talked about a house undivided is one where the people in it are forgiven forgivers. Forgiven forgivers. For our houses to be undivided, forgiveness has to flow freely. We have got to release people from the debt that they owe us. There's power in debt forgiveness. And you remember we talked about this, what Jesus said, if we don't forgive, he said, neither will my heavenly father forgive you. That's the only thing that can cut off the grace of God flowing to us is when we cut off the grace flowing through us. So a house undivided is one that's got sweet fellowship. A house undivided is one that's full of forgiveness where forgiveness flows freely. And I want you to know that about this house. Sarah and I want you to know that whether you're in this room this morning or watching online, you need to know that forgiveness flows in this house. And there's never a good reason for you to stay away from here. Maybe you've missed it. Maybe you sinned. Maybe you made a mistake. Or maybe you hurt or wronged somebody here at this place. But I want you to know something. Forgiveness flows. I said forgiveness flows. We are quick to forgive. And if somebody leaves us, we've already, the church is, we're, we're still a baby. The doors aren't even open good yet. You know? And we've had, a, we've had a, two or three people, a handful, decide this wasn't their place. Some for right reasons, some I don't know. But one of the things our pastor told us, I mentioned that to him. Uh, I said, well, we've already had some folks leave. And this is what he said, make it easy for them to come back. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And that was such maturity to me. Make it easy for them to come back. Well, how do you restore fellowship when it's been broken? Forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness. It's, it's miracle grow. It, it's, it's, it's miracle working power. Yes, yes. Forgiveness. Because how do you put a branch back on a vine once it's broken? Yeah. You can't. But God gave us this miraculous way to reconnect ourselves when fellowship has been broken. And it's when we let that forgiveness flow. So I want to add to this today. And I am running out of paper in this notebook. I think I'm down to like my next to last sheet. So I don't know if that means the series is almost over. (laughs) It it very well could. But I know we've got something we need to cover today. Go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 3... Beginning at verse eight, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, loving as brothers. So anytime you see this mention of the word brothers, or depending on what translation you're looking in, brethren, you need to associate that with what we're talking about. Same house, same family, brothers, sisters are people who grew up in the same family. So he's talking about people who are in the same house, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. The cross reference there is humble. Verse nine, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That word reviling means slander. Somebody who says something about you that's not true. He's saying to us, don't return that. Don't return evil for evil. Don't return slander for slander. Just because somebody treated you a certain way is not the green light to treat them that same way. That's not the open door, and that does does not justify us meeting their hostility, their evil, their slander, and then upping it. That's not going to fly in the presence of God. You know what doesn't work in the presence of God? They started it. (laughs) That may have worked with your parents. It didn't with mine. I know it doesn't in our house. They started it It is no excuse. You listening to me this morning online? Online family, it's no excuse. They started it is not going to fly in the presence of God. You are never going to get hauled before him. For something you said and did out of love and say, Well, God, they started it, and He's you're never gonna hear him go, Oh, they did? Okay. Well, if they started it, then I understand. No, listen to me, it's not a good excuse. Kiddos, the ones that we have in here, are she offended? Is she? <laughs> listen to me, kiddos. Listen to me, young people watching online. They started it is not a good excuse. It's not good. It's not, it's not going to work with God. It shouldn't work with us as parents. He's not so much interested in who started it as he is in who ended it, who put a stop to it. And when I say it, I mean the strife, the evil, the slander. He says, verse nine, we're not supposed to be the ones returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary or just the opposite, blessing. Somebody say blessing. Blessing. Knowing, listen to this, knowing that you were called to this called to what? Blessing. Blessing. You were called to blessing. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about fellowship, we saw from the scriptures that that is our call. And that's the first call that we have to answer. Jesus called the 12 to himself. And there are scriptures that are that are clear with us that tell us we are called to this fellowship with him. That was that was the reason God created man to begin with for fellowship. That was the purpose in Adam's creation. And because he was created for it, this is the one that gets me. That tells me we have the capacity for yes. it, not just to fellowship with each other, but to fellowship with the Almighty to actually share something in common with the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God of the universe, the one who gives life, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one whose wisdom is deeper than the ocean, it's higher than the mountains, the one whose understanding stretches further than east and west, the one who you can't even put words around his his genius, his wisdom, his smarts, and yet he put in you the ability to not only hear from him, but to understand it. Now, granted, he had to dumb it down a shade, (laughs) I'm sure, but still, still he put within us the ability to share something with him, to communicate with him, to hear from him and receive from him and then to understand it. And then on top of all that, he put within us the ability to put it into practice, to walk out what we heard from him. That's huge. We were created for that fellowship, which means we've got the capacity for that fellowship. And we recognize this is a big part of our calling. And if you sit and wonder or question about the things God's called you to do, you'll never know what he's called you to do on a practical level until you answer this call to fellowship first, Mm -hmm. because it's in the fellowship where you find out the fullness of your calling. Well, here we see another scripture about what we're called to. We're called to blessing. That's a part of our calling, our assignment. And don't get hyper-spiritual about the word calling. Mm. Your calling is just what God calls you. I'm standing this morning in this office, office, (laughs) this office under the anointing to pastor because I believe that's what he calls me. He calls me. Pastor, that's my calling because he calls me that. And if you want to find out what your calling is in the ministry or in the the business world or medical world or professional world or family world, you have to answer these callings first that the scripture says, this is what you're called to. And one of the things here we see is that we are called to blessing. Well, if you think about it, everything we just heard about the creation for fellowship and the call to fellowship and the capacity for fellowship. You could apply all of that to blessing. We were created for blessing. In the book of Genesis chapter one, when God created Adam, the scripture says he blessed him and said to him, so here's the blessing, you ready? Be fruitful, multiply. And that's what blessing is blessing is the building up blessing is what causes increase blessing is what causes something to be greater than it was yeah. so in God's blessing Adam he blessed him with the power to bless yeah. are you hearing me this morning That's good. what was the blessing the ability to bless so he not only received a blessing But that blessing itself was the call to bless, the capacity to bless. This is the one I don't think we've fully understood. We have within us a measure of what God himself had within him when he blessed Adam, when he spoke into creation, when he looked into nothing and created something. He put a measure of that same ability in you to bless To cause to increase. Now that's what creation was, was it not? To go from nothing to something and not just something, but something beautiful. Something so meticulous and so perfect. And when he spoke it into existence through the power of those words, light be, he blessed. And that something became nothing. It was caused to be greater, to increase. And he put a measure of that same stuff in you and in me. The ability to bless, but not just created for it and not just the capacity and the ability to do it. It's your calling. Yeah. Amen. I said, it's your calling. Yes. Listen to me. It's your calling yes. to bless. Yes. Now, the opposite of bless is what? Curse. To curse. To curse means to pronounce doom mm. or failure, certain failure. I'm laughing, thinking about something. Over the last couple of weeks, everybody on our staff was talking about this show that they'd been watching, uh, like a reality show. And we hadn't seen it yet, uh, but it's about these people that go off into the woods, and I won't tell you the name of the show, but they have to live alone uh, and make their own way and find their own food and build their own shelters and all that. And... It's interesting as we've watched the show and people just keep dropping out and dropping out. Now, we're not done yet, so don't give anything <laughs> away. But it stands out to me how much these people curse. Right. And I don't just mean cussing. There's a lot of that. And, of course, they bleep it out. But the, the actual cursing, the, the damning yeah. of something. Yeah. And that's what that word is, to, to pronounce doom over it. And my thought is, man, if you only knew the power in your words, you would not be cursing the thing that you want to be providing food for you when the trap didn't work or you lost the fish in the lake or whatever. Don't be cursing this stuff to failure, right? We were called and created with the capacity to bless, bless. Thank you, Lord. A house undivided is a house where this is going on. Amen. Where what's coming out of the mouth is always blessing. Yeah. Always causing to become greater. This is our calling. Now notice what he goes on to say here. He says, you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing. So our, our, our lives are not just about being blessed, but about being the blesser. That's right. He said for, verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days. He who would love life and see what kind of days? Good Good days. Man, you want to live a life that you love? If you you actually live on this earth and you love your life, do you know what sharp contrast that is to most of the rest of the world? If you interview most people, And most of them don't even have to be interviewed. Thanks to social media, we we have access to everything everybody thinks and what they feel without you asking. And you can tell just by reading some of it. These people do not love their lives. These people are very dissatisfied with life. Constant complaining, constant grumbling. Things are never going right. And they are seeing not good days, but what? Bad days. One right after the other, after the other, just bad day after bad day after bad day. But the scripture is about to tell us if you want a life that you love living and you want to see good day after good day after good day, and if you want to have a good day only to wake up the next day and find out it gets better than it got, than it was yesterday. How many, anybody interested in that? Just one good day after another. All right. Well, he's about to tell you how to do it. Here it is. Are you ready for this? I hope you're paying attention. He who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. That may not have been the thing that you would have thought you'd see at the top of the list. Here's how to live a good life. Here's how to enjoy good day after good day. Pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth. Watch your mouth is what he's saying. You want a life that you love? Watch your mouth. You want to see good days instead of bad days? Watch your mouth. Set a guard over your mouth. Set a watch over your lips. Why? Because what's coming out of your mouth is determining what kind of day you're having and what kind of days you will have and what kind of life you will live. Whether it's one you love or one you hate one that you are excited about, or one you wish was over. It matters what's coming out of your mouth. It's the first thing he mentioned to us. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. What else do we need to do to, to have good life and see good days? Let him turn away from evil and do good. So number one, watch your mouth. Number two, this is so simple. Do the right thing. It's so simple. Do the right thing. My grandfather used to tell us that good character meant doing the right thing, doing it because it was right, and then doing it right. Do what's right, do it because it's right, and then do it right. And this is just, this is what he's saying here. Turn away from evil, do good. So number one, what was it? Watch your mouth. Number two, Do the right thing. Could these simple things be this powerful enough to give us a life that we love and cause us to see good days? Now, here's the one I want to spend some time on. Notice what he says. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And then this. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Anybody interested in good days? A life that you love. All right. Well, number one, watch your mouth. Number two. Do the right thing. Number three, pursue peace. Pursue peace. This word that the Spirit of God used here, writing through Peter, this word pursue, it's the exact same word that the Spirit of God spoke through Paul when he said, I press towards the mark of the high call of God. It's, It's not just a desire It's not just a wishing or a wanting. It's an active pursuit. It's a press towards it. It is effort to go after it. You want good days? You want a life that you love? Watch your mouth. Do the right thing. Seek peace and go after it with everything you've got. Peace. Peace. Somebody say peace. 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 Peace is one of the biggest things that you and I could talk about. Peace in our homes. Remember, we're talking about a house undivided, but we're talking about not just a house, a kingdom, a city. And I wanna say some things to you today that I believe don't just apply to this house, don't just apply to your house, but you're gonna see today, in the next couple of minutes, what a perfect commentary the Word of God is to what's going on in our world and in our nation right now now peace you know I could define it for you it's all the things you've heard before. you know it's tranquility peace is safety peace is security look it up the word literally means prosperity you could go through all the definitions of peace but here's the thing about peace you don't need the definition why? because you know it when you see it yeah. you know it when you've got it You don't need me to define it. You don't need a dictionary to define it. Now, you can look at all that stuff, and it's good. It's powerful when you do. But peace is one of those things when you've got it, you know it, and you love it. You also know when you don't got it. You also know, without definition, when it's missing, right? And peace is one of those things that, as believers, is supposed to define us. You and I have a promise of peace, a peace that passes all understanding. That means you can have peace when it makes no sense for you to have peace. And that's one of the things that's supposed to be so characteristic of the life of a believer and somebody that lives by faith is that you've got peace in the middle of a situation where it makes no natural sense for you to have any peace whatsoever. Peace is one of those things. I mean, Jesus himself, the scripture told us he came preaching peace. Peace was his message. He preached peace to them that were far off. He preached peace to them that were near. And what that message did was create peace between God and man, restored our fellowship. No more distance between us. Why? Because Jesus is our peace preacher. Jesus is, a, is the ultimate peace maker. Amen. Peace is one of those things that if you learn to listen to the Spirit of God in you, if you learn to develop that listening ear, You get peace, you can make some major, major life decisions based on peace. Peace alone. Sarah Sarah will attest to this. How many times over the last 10 years in this ministry, the last 13 years of marriage, have we decided to do something because we had peace or decided not to do something because we didn't? This is how crucial peace is to the life of a believer. You can make major life decisions based on nothing else but peace, peace, where you go to church, where you live, where you go to school, who you marry, where to invest, what job to take, all of these things, they can be decided on peace alone now the rest of the world, man, they rack their brains and they'll do research day and night. I'm not telling you it's not good to look into things, but they will Google something till they run out of Google juice and they've just looked at 10,000 results and weighed out every single option. And the problem with a lot of that is the result oftentimes is just more confusion. Because that's what confusion is. It's just the result of way too many options. Is it this? I don't know. It could be that. Could be this. Could be that. Could be them. Could be him. Could be her. But if you and I will learn to look inside, Mm -hmm. if you and I will learn to listen to the spirit of peace, we can make some very significant decisions in our lives with absolute and total confidence. Based on what? How'd you arrive at that decision? How did you come to that conclusion? What books did you read? What conference did you go to? Huh? What, what results did you get online? Show me the hours and hours of study you did. Well, what I did was sought the Lord and waited for yes. peace. Amen. It's, so good. it's peace. Yeah. Yeah, so. An undivided house is full of this stuff. Amen. Full of peace. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. We can be led by it. We can make decisions based on it. You're here in 1 Peter. Just go back a page or so into the book of James. James chapter 3. I'm not going to take too long with this today, but I want you to see some of this. This is powerful stuff. You're looking for James 3. Let me put a couple of scriptures on the screen for you. Put up Isaiah 32 verse 18. Isaiah 32, 18. Listen to what this scripture says. Well, verse 17 says, The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. That's what peace is. Peace is quietness. Peace is assurance and confidence. Verse 18 says, My people. Any of God's people in here today? Any of God's people watching online today? Then he's talking to you. My people will dwell in what kind of habitation? Peaceful. What kind of house will his people dwell in? Peaceful. My people, my, my people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. This has been a verse in our family that Sarah has stood on for year after year after year, believing God for our home, believing God for the place that he wanted us to be. When we were moving from Texas to Colorado, here came Isaiah 32, 18 again. And she's looking at it day after day after day, confessing it out loud. He made a promise. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwelling places, in, uh, in secure dwellings, in quiet resting places. We stood on this scripture and we've seen the Lord produce it in our life. But I saw this in a, in a different way over the last day or so. Yes, this is a promise. You hear me? This is a promise from God and you can have this, but it's not just a promise. It's supposed to be a description. It is supposed to be a description of your house and mine. Why? Because we're his people. And if everybody else in this world lives in a house with no peace, lives in a house full of strife, full of conflict, full of division, so be it. But we're his people. That's right. And our houses are supposed to be different. So, yes, this is a promise, but it's also a call to something higher. This is supposed to be the description of our homes.
1: Yeah.
0: My people, God said, yeah. how do we know? We're his people. How do other people know we're his people? Our houses. Our habitations are peaceful. They're quiet. They're secure. Peaceful. Look at uh, Proverbs. Put this on the screen for us. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. You'll like this. He says, Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. Better a dry crust eaten in peace than a house filled with feasting and conflict. A house filled with feasting, man, that paints the picture of of a so-called wealthy family. A lot of money, man. And that, in this day where this was written, food came a different way. It had a different source. And if you had a lot of it, that just meant you were rich. You could get access to it in a house filled with feasting. That means the table is set. You're in a big, beautiful place with lots of rooms and there's lots of food on the table. But the scripture I said, the scripture, the Bible, God himself says you would be better off eating a dry crust of bread in a house that's got peace in it than you would be in a big house with a lot of food filled with fighting. Now, when you give people the option if you were to say to most people, I'm going to give you a choice. You can either live in this big, beautiful, 12,000 square foot, sprawling mansion on 150 acres. It's got 10 rooms and 15 bathrooms and a six car garage. And you can either have that. But the catch is you fight day and night. There's conflict in the house. You don't get along. Husbands, wives, children. I'll either give you that, or you can have this little house over here across town, this little two-bed, one-bath thing, but here's the thing. It's filled with peace. Everybody in it's walking in love. Everybody in it is blessing, not cursing. Sad to say, most people would have to think long and hard. And many people would come to the conclusion, uh, give me that big place. That just tells you our concept of prosperity is really screwed up because peace is prosperity. Now, here's the good thing about God. It's not one or the other in him, but it matters what's most valuable to you. The Lord cannot put you in a big place, in a beautiful place until he knows that you know what's more valuable than that. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord's not opposed to you having a beautiful place to live, a great thing to drive. These are not big deals to him. What is a big deal to him is that you know those things aren't the most valuable. That you know peace is way more valuable than that house, that car, that money, that stuff. Peace. Say it again. Say peace. Peace. In James chapter 3, Verse 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness or the humility of wisdom. So when he says who's wise and understanding among you, he's not looking for a show of hands. He's not looking for you to go, yeah, that sounds like me. He's saying, who's wise among you? Let him prove it. Let him show it by his works that are done in the meekness of wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and strife exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, then he goes on to say in verse 17, the wisdom that is from above. So what these verses are about are two different types of wisdom. Isn't that interesting? They're both called wisdom. The only difference is where they're from. The only difference is the source of the wisdom. One is earthly, one's from above. And he helps you see this earthly wisdom, he says is... Uh, or or the wisdom that does not descend from above is first earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic, and then he helps you identify it. Where envy and strife, or the New King James says self-seeking, the King James says strife, where these things exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I wanna read something to you. Do you have just a minute for this? This is out of a book called The Sparkling Gems from the Greek. It's by Pastor Rick Renner. And he wrote a daily devotional a number of years ago. And one of the things that he does in his ministry is really unpack some of these Greek words. And I want to read to you what he said about this verse. He said in James chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says, for where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil word. He said, I want you to notice the word envy in this verse. It's taken from the Greek word zealous it denotes a fierce desire to promote one's own ideas and convictions to the exclusion of everyone else. We don't often associate that with the word envy. But listen to it again. It comes from that Greek word zealous. He goes on here to talk about how we get, that's where we get the word zealot. Somebody who's, who is, is so fierce in their desire, he said, to promote their own ideas It's to their own idea and convictions that it's to the exclusion of everyone else. He said this word zealous is where we get the word zealot, which describes a person who is so fixated, so obsessed, so fanatical about his own cause that others perceive, perceive him as an extremist on the threshold of becoming militant. That's the word envy. In a word, you could say it like this this zealous, this zealot, this envious person is somebody who is so convinced they're right. They are so fully persuaded and fully convinced that what they think, what they feel, their perspective, their preference, their opinion is what's right. And they are so fierce and obsessed with it, with what? Their opinion, their preference, their perspective, that they are unwilling to hear anybody else's. It's this, it's this desire, this overwhelming desire and drive to be right and for everybody else to say, yeah, you're right. And I told you this was going to be a commentary on what's going on in our world right now. Yeah. Are we seeing this? Yes. Have you watched the news at all lately? Have you seen zealots in the streets who believe they are right? That their perspective and their opinion is what's right? Now, I'm not even going to stand here and tell you that I think what they think is right or wrong. I'm just going to tell you what the word says. Notice what he says after you've got this person who's envious. They're so fanatical about their own cause that others perceive them as an extremist on the threshold of becoming militant. In the case of James 3.16, this word presents a picture of a believer who is so obsessed, gripped, and preoccupied with his own view of things that he can't see or hear the view of anyone else. In fact, his militant perspective has made him lopsided in his thinking. He never takes a softer line, but holds out until all the other parties admit defeat and agree with his point of view. Then he goes on to talk about the word strife. He said the word strife is taken from the Greek word uh, and and it was used uh, in the ancient Greeks to stand for a political party. So now politics are involved. He said this Greek word is often translated as a party spirit because of its linkage to a political system and political parties. He said, some Christians become so clouded by their ambition to see their own views adopted that they have no tolerance for anyone who sees things differently than they do. When envy and strife have made it this far, the next step in this sequence of events becomes inevitable. James 3.16 continues, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And I said the word confusion It's taken from a Greek word used in the New Testament to describe, listen to this, civil disobedience, disorder, and anarchy. Civil disobedience, disorder, and anarchy in a city, a state, or a government. What did Jesus say? I don't care if it's a kingdom. I don't care if it's a city. I don't care if it's a house. If there's strife in it, it's coming down. If there's division in it, it'll be destroyed. By using this word, James explicitly tells us that that when situations of strife and discord are allowed to persist, an atmosphere of anarchy sets in and begins to destroy the relationships once loved and cherished. Rational thinking... (laughs) Are you ready for this? Rational thinking is replaced by raw emotions... And people end up getting hurt. He said the word evil, because the scripture says where there's confusion there's, or strife and envy, there's confusion in every evil work. He said the word evil is the, from the word phallos, describing something that is terribly bad or exceedingly vile. We get the word foul from this Greek word. James is saying that where envy and strife are permitted to operate, thus producing confusion and anarchy in relationships, they ultimately yield a foul-smelling situation. What have I been telling you for weeks on end? Strife stinks. How good and how pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. Strife, though, division, it stinks. Now listen in contrast, and I'll begin to wrap it up with this. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Verse 17, the wisdom that's from above is first pure. Then what is it? Peaceable. That word literally means to love peace. Folks, we've got to be lovers of peace. Remember what we said? Seek peace and what? Pursue it. Go after it. Press for it. Because you love it. You love peace. What else is this wisdom that's from above? It's gentle. Now here's the big one I want you to see. Willing to yield. What a difference that is from this zealot. What a difference it is from that envy and that strife. Somebody who is so fierce and so obsessed with what they think is right. That they are unwilling to yield. The wisdom that's from God. You want to know how you're hearing from God? You're willing to yield. You're willing to back off your opinion. You're willing to back off your preference. You're willing to back off your perspective. Why would you do that? Because you love peace. I love peace. love peace more than my opinion. I love peace more... In my perspective, or my preference, I love peace. And because I love peace, I'm willing to yield. When you're driving on the road and you come to a yield sign, that sign's not necessarily commanding you to stop. But what it's saying is it would be good to at least tap the brake. Right? At least slow down enough to take a look and make sure you're not about to cause major destruction. What am I telling you? Tap the brake. Husbands, listen to me. Tap the brake. Wives, listen. It's okay. Tap the brake. Slow down just a little bit. Let me ask you this. Thank you, Lord. If I gave you the choice between being right and being righteous, which would you choose? In other words, what I'm asking you is would you rather be right in the eyes of the person you're fighting with or would you rather be right in the eyes of God? Wow. You. Now you got to make a choice because look, I'm a married man. I have a home of my own. We have a home. You have homes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. We can paint pictures of rainbows and butterflies and make you think everything's all good all the time but you know as well as I do things pop up, confrontation, Difference in opinion, difference in preference, difference in perspective. And I've been in the middle of situations. Let me say it like this. I've been without peace and I've been with peace. Peace is better. Peace is so much better. And I'm at the place in my life and we're in the place in our marriage that we want peace more than anything else. We love it when we have it. And we have days and weeks and months on end of nothing but the peace of God. We, we, we acknowledge it. We'll acknowledge it to each other. How wonderful it is just to have peace in the house. And you get to the place where you love it so much that you are willing to yield. Willing to yield. Well, I have a right to opinion, to my opinion, but that's not what makes your opinion right. You may have a right to one, but it's not what makes it right. And with everything that's been going on in our nation, in places around the world, we've seen some horrible things happen in our streets. We've seen life ended that shouldn't have been ended. And wherever you stand on either side of a debate, there are some things you have to acknowledge that have happened on our streets that shouldn't happen in our streets. But you have to come to the place where you desire peace. Peace has to be the thing that you love. When peace is what you love above all else, you're willing to yield your opinion, willing to yield your perspective. But here's what's interesting about all this. We're looking in James 3, starting there in verse 13. The first 12 verses of, of the book of James chapter 3, you know what they're all about? The tongue. Yeah. The tongue. And he says, the tongue is a little member, but what a great fire it sparks. It's a member. Other places in scripture, the book of Romans, talk to us about yielding our members. It's talking about the members of your body. Yield this member of your body as a servant and a slave to righteousness, not to sin. So when he's talking in James 3 about being willing to yield, one of the things you have to see that he's saying is be willing to yield your tongue. Be willing to use this tongue, this mouth, not to prove that you're right, but yield it to righteousness. Yield it to blessing, not cursing. Yield it to increasing, not tearing down. Are you willing to yield your tongue. Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody tap the brake and back off what they're so convicted about, what they believe with all their heart? Why would somebody be willing? Not to say that they're necessarily wrong, but to just back off it. Why would somebody be willing to do that? Because, baby, they love peace more than anything else. And what this goes on to say, this last verse of this chapter, he says, The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And I'll read it to you from one other translation. Listen to what the New Living Translation says. James 3.18. Give me just a second. He says it like this. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. I've been before the Lord on this. This is what I started telling you a moment ago. Watching these things happen. Things that break your heart, things that hurt your heart. Then you, you see a response from this group or you see a response from that group. And I've been really open before the Lord. And I just said, Father, I, I want to be Righteous. In my response to it, I don't want to just be stirred up in my emotions, in my feelings. And I don't want to just assume that what I think is right. That's so easy to fall into that you think something's right simply because you thought it. <laughs> but just because you thought something is not what made that thought right. What makes it right? Or let me say it like this what makes it righteous? It's God's thoughts. And so I've been before the Lord. Father, I want to think how you think about this. I want to stand where you stand. I want to stand on the righteous side of this. And I have been open to Him about changing some of the ways I think. If I'm not thinking correctly about this, if there's something I don't see because I've never experienced it firsthand, then change the way I think. But watching the the unfolding of everything. Have you, have you heard this as much as I've heard it? This, this constant repetition of, of these words, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. You hear it from the people in the streets. You hear it from the pulpit of news media. Depending on who you're listening to preach, you might hear it from that pulpit too. No justice, no peace. And that was one of the things I went before the Lord on. It's like, Father, is that right? Is that right? Because what we're seeing is people taking peace hostage. There are people that have taken peace hostage and said, unless you give me what I want, you're not getting this. And they're treating it like a hostage situation. Here's our demands. Here's the list of our demands. And until we get what we think is right, you're not getting peace. And they've got peace tied and bound and gagged and locked in a room, unwilling to let it go. But what this scripture said, do you notice I said scripture? Those who are peacemakers plant seeds of peace and what they reap is a harvest of righteousness. The cross-reference there says righteousness or good things or justice. What the scripture is actually telling us is peace is a seed. Peace is a seed that you sow and the harvest is justice. The harvest is righteousness. Not just you being right or me being right but the acknowledging that God is right. Yeah, so you sow the seed of peace and what you reap is the harvest of justice. So when we ask the Lord, Father, is this right? No justice, no peace. I, and, and I understand it. And I believe there is a degree of an application that you could take from that and apply it in a right way. But what we're seeing, you know it's not right, right. to take peace hostage. And to say, you're not getting it till I get what I want. What is that? Unwilling to yield. But what God is saying is, I want you to have justice. I want want it to be right in your society. I want it to be right in the kingdom. I want it to be right in the city. I want it to be right in the house. But that rightness, that righteousness, that justice is a harvest on a seed sown. And the seed is peace. Amen. You sow peace. You sow that willingness to tap the brake, to back off, not, not your conviction. And that's why I'm not standing here saying that somebody else's conviction is wrong. All I'm doing is telling you what the Word says. Come on. Yeah. And you're, But you're willing to back off the, the, the enforcement of it and the, the militant approach to it. The harvest on that is justice and righteousness. Now, as, as we watch the news and we look into the streets and we say, man, that, that's, that's not godly. That's not right. People shouldn't be dying. Buildings shouldn't be burning. It's like, I want justice, so I'm sowing a brick through your window. That, that seed's not going to produce righteousness. But I'm going to tell you something. It's just as wrong, husbands to withhold peace in your house until you get what you want. Wives, it's just as wrong to take peace hostage and say, well, there's not going to be any peace in this house until you start acting the way I think is right. Until you believe what I believe. That's wrong too. What you want in the house is not you right or me right. What you want is Righteousness. How do you get it? Huh? How do you get it? You sow peace. You sow it. How do we get what's right in this nation? We sow peace. Now listen. I'm taking so much longer. I'm sorry. He said there's two wisdoms. One that's from here. One that's from above. So don't be surprised when the ungodly world Shows no other recourse but wisdom that's earthly and sensual and demonic. Are you surprised when your child acts like a child? Are you surprised when your 10-year-old acts like a 10-year-old? No. Then don't be surprised when a sinner acts like a sinner. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. But as for me and my house. As for me and my house. There's going to be a difference in this house. And what we're after is Righteousness. And how we get there is peace. Jesus said to his disciples, when you walk into a house, use your words. Say, peace be to this house. That's a blessing. Speak the blessing. Yield your tongue to the blessing. And he said, if if there's a son of peace in that house, look it up. It literally means somebody who loves peace. If there's somebody worthy of peace in that house, that blessing will rest on it. He said, but if they don't love peace, it's going to come right back to you. And what we're dealing with right now, you've got people who love peace and you've got people who love their opinion. I love peace more. Can you stand up with me? Can you say that out loud? I love peace more. Let's say it together. I love peace more. More than what? More than my own opinion, more than my own preference, more than my own perspective. I love peace more. And I'm saying if if a minister of the gospel walks into my house and pronounces the blessing of peace on it, I want that blessing to stay. How do we get that blessing to stay? Just love the peace. Just love the peace. Thank you, Lord. Well, I talked a lot. More than I intended to. Did that help anybody this morning? Thank you, Lord. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your word that we've heard today. Lord, we open up ourselves. If there's been anything in us that's been too fierce, too obsessed, too indignant about our own way, our own opinion. Lord, we repent of that and we want you to know we are willing to yield. Why don't you say it out loud? I'm willing to yield. Say, I'm willing to yield my tongue, to yield my words, to yield my opinion. I yield to righteousness. I yield to justice. And I sow, seeds of peace. I sow seeds of peace. Thank you, Lord. Father, we want our homes to be peaceful habitations. We have a promise from your word that we can have that. But we ask you, by your help, by your grace, and the leadership of your spirit, to help us make our homes peaceful places. We are living in pursuit of peace. And no longer, Father, will we say, no justice, no peace. But we recognize that your word is saying no peace, no justice. So we sow these seeds today in full expectation to reap a harvest of righteousness and peace in our homes, in our cities, in this nation. But Lord, if nobody else across this nation or around the world chooses to walk in this kind of peace, we will in this house. This house will be a house undivided because it is so full of your peace. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Well, it took a while to say it, but I hope we heard it. Let's put it into practice. Amen? Amen? Let's put it into practice. Guys, can you sing something? They're gonna sing for us, and we're gonna worship the Lord, and as they sing, you guys are dismissed. We love you so much. Thank you for coming. We love this staff and this team. Our online congregation, we love you. Good progress is being made in the church, and it won't be long. We'll all be here together. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text Legacy and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.